Thank you so much for that. Welcome. I just want to say to Lester and the City Youth Team, uh, as a parent of teens, uh, some of them are heading out of uh, City Youth in the next two years, or well, the last one anyway, but I want to say thank you for partnering with us as parents and building into their lives, Lester, Sivu, and the team, creating a space where uh, Jesus can be worshipped, where Jesus can be known, and we don't take that for granted. We're so grateful that you put your hand up, Lester. And, uh, and, and the other guys to say, listen, this, this generation of teens is important to Jesus. They're important to the earth that we live in. And I'm so grateful uh, that, uh, that we uh, have seen the fruit of that. I remember that City Youth Conference where it was COVID season. And we had a whole lot of teens in our house. And, um, and, and God was doing business in their hearts. Um, I want to say I'm trusting God for huge things um, to happen in our teens' lives in other teens who come and in this community because of the work that you're doing, Lest. Um, and we give all praise and glory to Jesus for that. Um, yeah, so we are up here for week two. How uh, incredible is that? Laurel and I really love uh, every opportunity that we get to uh, share God's word with you. And uh, we are in a series where we have simply just called the series In His Image. We're taking some time to look at God's design and uh, last week we took a look at uh, manhood. Today we're going to be looking at uh, womanhood. And uh, we saw last week that God created male and female. And he created them to be image bearers. Ones who would reflect him in the earth. Um, who would reflect um, attributes and characteristics of who God is. That is a very special thing. That we get to reflect the God of heaven as male and female uh, in Christ. Um, we saw that when it comes to manhood, we can either be stereotypical men, um, but it's a very low bar to aim for. Very low bar because it, it means we're not going to accomplish the purpose for why God made us male. And so uh, we saw that in order to be not stereotypical men, but Jesus-type men, we, need to, we in, need to embrace some new things. We need to embrace a redefined strength. We need to uh, 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 embrace observing truth. And um, that strength uh, that we embrace comes from observing and remembering truth. Remembering God's truth so that we can live uh, strengthened in Him, but not just strengthened in Him so it's all about us and everything's going fine, but strengthened for Him so that we can bring hope uh, to the world uh, that we live in that is in such a hopeless place. That we can bring light into the darkness so that we can bring the good news of Jesus into our spaces, places, and relationships. That was manhood um, in summary, but if you want to catch up on everything, men, I would encourage you to get onto our YouTube channel for this uh, series. Uh, ladies, if you missed uh, first week, uh, first and sec second week, any of you, male or female, it's a series that's critical um, and a critical conversation um, in the day and age that you and I are living in because we want to make a difference for Jesus in this age. Lorelai. Great. So we're going to look at womanhood, and we're going to jump right in. So we're going to be reading that passage that we read last week, Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28. So you can follow on the screens. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, 
be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. An amazing passage of scripture showing us God's design for man and woman. And so we want to embrace God's design and his truth because that is what brings peace to our lives. It brings a sense of order to our lives. But when we embrace our own design and our own truth, we see, as James said, it brings chaos and confusion to our lives. So we're going to have a look at this passage under five headings. As woman, a unique image bearer. A woman is a unique image bearer, a unique steward, a unique life giver, and then uniqueness distorted, and then uniqueness redeemed. So let's start with a unique image bearer. So God created us as women according to his design in his image. It was his idea to create masculinity and femininity. It was his idea to be able to create us the way we are designed, the way we are made. It was in his heart to be able to do that. And it's because he made us. And because we were made for him and for relationship with him, that we have an intrinsic value. We don't get our sense of value and we shouldn't get our sense of value from other things that are around us. What we own or what we do, we should get our sense of value from God himself. But often I think as women we believe because we were created second, Adam was created first and we were created second, that we were an afterthought or that perhaps we are inferior. But we cannot possibly believe that. It's an indictment on God because there's no ways that God, we would just be an afterthought. It's saying that God didn't clearly think about what he was going to do and who he was going to create and what they would look like and what they would do. It was carefully planned because how we are wired as women and as men reflect something of his nature to this world. It was carefully planned, and so we are not an afterthought in any way. But I think sometimes as women, it has become the narrative of our lives. Deep down, or the back of our minds, we have believed that. And so today, God wants us to hear the truth, and he wants the truth to set us free so that we can be who God wants us to be and to reflect his image in the world. So because we've been created in his image, there is something of God, something in God that is, shows that masculinity and the femininity. So there, is, there are scriptures that point to this. So we know that scripture always speaks of God in the masculine, and that is how it is. But there are elements or aspects of God in the feminine or parts of God that show maternal qualities. And we see that in Isaiah 66 verse 13, where the prophet Isaiah says this of God, As a mother comforts her children, so will I comfort you. And then Jesus, looking over Jerusalem and his heart being filled with compassion, in Matthew 23, he says this, How often I have longed to gather your children as a hen gathers its chicks under her arms. So we see these aspects of God in the the feminine aspects of God, which are reflected in us as women. But I think we have also, there's some, there's some beautiful traits in a woman, but I think we've, we've lost sight of those beautiful traits that God has put 
in us as women. And I think we've lost sight of them because we've embraced some of the stereotypes, those widely held views of women or sometimes oversimplified images of women that we have developed over the years. And this has cheapened sometimes the very truths that God wants us to reflect to the world. The truths, the the attributes and the traits that are in us that the world is meant to see. Um, They don't see that because sometimes because of those stereotypes, we we withdraw and we, we don't act out these beautiful traits that God has actually given to us. So I want to use one that probably I think people are too scared to say today. <laughs> you know which one I'm going to say. <laughs> but uh, sometimes we're too scared to say it, and it's probably a good thing in a way. But I want to use it as an example because I think it's a good example. And that is that women should be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. And so if you have to say that to a woman, she's going to get mad. She's going to get mad, okay? And uh, if someone said it to me, I would also get mad. And let me tell you why I think we get mad when people say that to us. It's because it is so limiting. And it feels like we want to say to you, no, there is so much more in us than just that. Being pregnant and being stuck in the kitchen to do chores. We're actually smart and capable, and we are clever in so many different ways. And we feel that it is restricting to us when people say things like that to us. Or it could be that we have a low view or understanding of what we see as menial and insignificant roles or tasks. So it could be one of either of those, but actually we should have a high view And so I'm not saying it's right for someone to say that to us that we would be stuck there, but we need to actually not lose sight of the truths behind that stereotype. We actually, there are these things that we are called to as women that are an incredible privilege to us. The fact that we have a unique ability to be able to bear children, to bring forth life, it's a wonderful privilege. And then to be in the kitchen and to serve others, to make beautiful meals, and to welcome people in. How many times have you not sat around a kitchen table over good food and had the most amazing times with connecting with people? And women have the ability to do that, to draw people in, to make them feel like they belong, and they're a part, and they are welcome. And so I want to mention a couple of these traits that women have, and it's not the beginning and the end of all that women are, but I really wanted to mention them because I feel that they are beautiful traits that women have and that we should celebrate them and we should appreciate them and appreciate the fact that God has wired us this way. It's not restrictive in any way. It's just to celebrate who we are. So the first one is that, is that we are relational, that we're able to gather people and relate to people and be warm and welcoming. And so you see that Adam was created first and his first relationship was with the the creation and his work. And he had to name the animals and he had to tend to the garden. And woman was created second, as we said, and her first relationship was with man. And so what is important to a woman is relating to people. That was her first encounter, to relate to somebody. 
And so Larry Crabb says this of a woman, and he's taken the Hebrew words of woman and femininity, and he's made, I wouldn't say it's a definition, but it's a bit of a description of what those words really mean, to get to the heart of who a woman is. So he wants to communicate those Hebrew words in essence, and this is what it says. A woman is someone who invites and receives into herself relationships and others' dreams, hopes, hurts, and surrounds and nurtures and nourishes people and relationships. I want to read that again. One who invites and receives into herself relationships and others' dreams, hopes, hurts, and surrounds and nurtures and nourishes people and relationships. Isn't that very much how we are as women? And don't you see the aspects of God's character in that? How God actually pulls us into himself and into relationship with himself. How he nurtures us, how he cares about our hopes and dreams and our hurts and how he relates to us in such a personal way. So we see that God's heart is very similar to that of a woman's. Then the next thing we see is that women are nurturing or they are nurturers. And I'll speak a bit more about that in the next point, so I won't mention too much here. Then I really believe that women have a natural ability to teach and instruct. And I was at school on Friday speaking at the staff devotions, and I looked over the room. And obviously, most of the teachers are women. But at our school, more and more men are beginning to follow that call, which is very exciting because we need male teachers. But it was a sign again to me that as women, it comes quite naturally to us to be able to teach. I think it's because we care about people so much and because we're so relational that we, when we see that somebody needs help or somebody needs to grow in a particular area, we want to step in and teach them and grow them and help them to be better at whatever it is that they're doing. And as if we have children, we want to prepare them well for life. And so we instruct them and teach them in the ways of the Lord. We instruct them and teach them and give them life skills for their journey ahead. And then I see that women are also quite organized and they bring a sense of order. They also create beautiful and peaceful, welcoming spaces. And so as a woman, you don't have to be an interior designer, but I think this comes naturally to us in many ways. And we all do it in different ways. But I think it's a wonderful quality, again, that we have to be able to draw people in and make them feel loved and welcome. Then the next thing is that women are sensitive. I think in many ways we are a lot more sensitive and more gentle than what men are. Uh, but I do think sometimes we get overly sensitive. So I do fall into that trap every now and again. <laughs> and uh, I think the guys know there are times you think to yourself, oh my word, you know, here she goes again. I'm, you know, you say one thing and then she takes it the wrong way because she's feeling overly sensitive. This happened to Vaughan and I. So I was pregnant either with Geordie or John, and we were lying in bed one night. And uh, I think I must have been giving him a hard time. I do sometimes, you know. And um, I was obviously moaning at him about something. And under his breath, he says not under his breath, but under his breath, he went, oh, you're such an old goat. And <laughs> can you believe this? Lovely, godly husband of mine could say something like that. <laughs> I think he just had enough of this pregnant woman. And so 
I literally, I started crying and I cried for an hour. I couldn't help myself. So I'm a very sensitive person. And I think as women, sometimes we ask it and we do fall into the trap of being overly sensitive. But he learned the moral never to call me a goat when I'm pregnant again. And <laughs> but I think our sensitivity, we sometimes see our gentleness and the sensitivity as a weakness, but actually it's an incredible strength because we can be sensitive to the people around us. We can be sensitive to the needs of those around us. We're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and this helps us in so many ways to be able to help others and to meet the needs of others around us. Then women are compassionate. I see women are not just, oh, sorry for you. I feel, I feel sorry for you. But honestly, when a woman has compassion in her heart, she is moved. I'm surrounded with women at City Woman, and I'm amazed at what women do. They see a need and they step in and they make a plan out of very little sometimes, but they make a plan to be able to meet that need of, and the need that they see. Then women are intuitive, and this comes from that, sense of, uh, you know, that, that sensitivity that we have. Like I said, we're sensitive to the people around us. We're sensitive to situations. We're sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And so we're able to walk into a situation or meet somebody, and sometimes we just get this gut feeling. Our intuition tells us, yes, this is, this is a good thing. Step into it, or no, don't step into it. And I'm sure many of you can think of a time where you thought to yourself, I wish I'd listened to my mother's gut, or my wife, or my sister. She told me not to do this, and I thought, ah, oh, whatever. So often, when we get that gut feeling, we're so right. And this is a gift that God has given us, that we're sensitive and that we're intuitive because it helps us to bring God's wisdom into situations and to help. So guys, when your wife says or your sister or your mother says, listen, <laughs> I have a feeling, I have a feeling, listen to what she says. God wants to use that wisdom. So we see these unique traits that women have to be able to be unique image bearers, but these unique traits also help us to be able to do the work that God has called us to do. So my second point, a unique steward. Genesis 1 verse 28 says that um, God gave them dominion over the earth. So God, who was sovereign, delegate, delegated this authority to men and women to be able to subdue the earth and to bring the earth under cultivation. So this speaks into our work, and both us, men and women, are called to cooperate with the Creator to develop the resources that He's given us, to develop the gifts that He's given us for the good of the community, for the good of everyone around us. So our work is not just for ourselves. Our work is to serve the purposes of God and to benefit other people as well. And so we see two amazing examples in the Scriptures of two women that did just that, used their abilities and their strengths to do the will of God. We see Esther. You can go and read the story. It's an amazing story in the book of Esther. Israel was in Persia after the exile, and there was a pending genocide. Hanan wanted to wipe out the Jews, and God uses Esther because she is perfectly placed in the king's palace. And it was because of her beauty, it was her beauty that got her into the palace. And two years of beauty treatments. It says that Esther was, a, was lovely in form and feature. And it was that that God used. But not just her beauty. 
It was her wisdom. It was her clever plans. And it was her courage that turned Haman's plans on their head. And the nation of Israel was saved. So God used her in a unique way in that situation and brought deliverance for the nation of Israel. Then we see somebody completely different. We see Deborah, who was a judge, the only woman judge in Israel, and how God uses her leadership. She was a wife to Lapidoth. She was probably a mother. She was a prophetess, and people sought out her wisdom. She'd sit under the palm tree and share her wisdom and instruct and teach people. But she had the ability to lead well and to strategize with incredible wisdom. And clearly she was a woman that was respected by both men and women, and she was able to lead her nation well. But she led with her mother's heart. Because of her love and her care for people, it says that when they were in need and her nation was being oppressed, she arose. And these are the words she says in her song after her and Barak win the battle. Although she got the credit for it, Barak did not get the credit for that one. And it says in Judges 5 verse 7, it says, Village life in Israel ceased, ceased until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. So there was no distortion around her womanhood. She led the troops to victory as a woman. You know that there's something of a fierceness in a woman. It's like the lioness comes out. If you touch a, woman, a woman's children or something, someone that a woman loves, you're going to get the brunt of it. So there's a fierceness in us when you touch something or someone that we love. And so she went in as a mother strong, wise, strategically minded, a courageous woman. Did she try to act like a man? Was she trying to be a man? No, she wasn't. She went in as a woman, a strong woman that God used. And so something that I've learned is that it's not so much about what we do, about our vocation or our occupation, but it's how we do it. Are we staying true to the design? Are we staying true to who God made us so that we can reflect what and who God is? So I just want to say in the workplace, I think it's so important that we get a hold of this, that we come together as men and women and we work alongside one another using those gifts and talents that God gave us, just like Deborah and Barak did, each bringing their own unique abilities and insights and perspectives into a, a situation instead of being in conflict with one another as men and women or pulling one another down or trying to show one another up, but actually working alongside each other. I feel like if we did that, we would see more of the fullness of God. We'd be able to achieve so much more than if we were at loggerheads with one another and both just bringing what is, is what we're good at to the table. And so Larry Crabb says this, if our approach to relationships and responsibilities reflects not only our personality and gifts, but also our sexual nature, then eliminating the unique elements that each sex brings to their community will distort the good design. We don't want to 
eliminate any of those elements, not in men, not in women. We want to come as God made us in our fullness and join hands and do things together so that we can see God's good design. So my third point is unique life giver. A woman is a unique life giver. And so we are made biologically in a unique way. And because of that, we have this incredible ability to bear children and bring bring forth life. And I know there are some here that don't want to have children. Some want to have children, others don't. And that's fine. And then there are some of you here that are desperately wanting to have children and you're struggling with infertility. And I want to say to you, if you need prayer today, please come let us pray for you. If you're trusting God to have children and you're struggling to fall pregnant, we'd love to pray with you. Over the years, we've prayed for many couples, and we have seen God work miracles. So it's not completely hopeless. I'm telling you many testimonies in our church of where God has come through and has given couples the desire of their heart. But with this physical ability comes a desire and an ability to nurture, to protect, to love, and to teach our children. But this is not just our biological children. I believe God's put it in our hearts to be mothers. And we can actually love and protect and teach and nurture other children. Maybe orphans like we spoke about last week that are in need of a mother. Or bringing, nurturing just people, nurturing relationships, even bringing uh, people to maturity. We could even be people that nurture dreams and visions and bring forth those and bring them to fruition. As we said last week, our nation needs fathers, but our nation needs mothers too. They need to see the tender, loving heart of God as well. John Stott says this about motherhood, and he helps us just in that delicate balance. Motherhood is indeed a divine vocation and calls for great sacrifices, but it is not woman's only vocation. There are other equally serious and equally unselfish forms of service to society which she may be called to give. Yes, we are called to be mothers, but that's not all we're able to do. Like I said, we don't want to be restricted to that only. But in saying that, I want to say, I think the world has downplayed motherhood. And I want us just to re-embrace and to embrace this incredible privilege of being a mother, of nurturing another life to fullness. It's a great responsibility, but it is an incredible privilege that we should just reclaim again. We did pre-marriage with a couple once, and um, he asked me what I'd do, and at that time, Um, I was a stay-at-home mom. It's something I dreamed of since I was in primary school. I always wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. But I'd also dreamed about being in ministry. So life, God was really good to me, and life was, had worked out well in that sense that I was working part-time at our previous church, and I was able to work from home, and so I was able to look after my children. So when he asked me, I said, I'm a stay-at-home mom. And he said to me, you know, if, you'd, if I'd asked you this two months ago, I would have said to you, that is pathetic. Get a life. And so he said, but now, since I've become a Christ follower, I've realized the incredible importance that a mother plays in a child's life. And so I'm not advocating today that if you're working, that you should become a stay-at-home mom. 
But what I am asking you is to embrace that incredible privilege and responsibility and raise your children, be invested, be present in raising them. And you know that it's so important to keep that balance. So even as I was a stay-at-home mom, I always taught the moms at the, the, at the moms group that we always, we need to stay active, we need to stay involved and keep our minds active. So we need to have this balance of, yes, keeping our dreams alive and working and being active in the community, but then also investing in our, in our children. So we don't want to lose ourselves completely, but we don't want to lose our children either. So I think this balance is so important that we realize, yes, we are capable of a lot, but we also want to nurture our children. And I feel that is so important because when we raise our children in the ways of God and when we raise them well, there is an impact on society, a positive impact on society. And I just think of those that are, are single this morning. Maybe you're trying to raise a child on your own. And I feel as a community, we need to become more and more sensitive to those that are trying to raise their children alone. They're needing us to come alongside them. And we need to be aware of that. Where they sometimes need a, a father or, or a mother, or a father or mother figure from the outside. And so let's be sensitive to those that are around us. And so I think my question to you as woman today is, will you be a life giver in whatever form that comes? Yes, having children, but in other ways, bringing life in the places, spaces, and relationships that you find because you are a unique life giver. And then my fourth point is the uniqueness distorted. So we know that through the fall and through sin, that these qualities have been distorted. And when man sinned, God cursed man and woman and the serpent. And this is what he says to the woman in Genesis 3.16. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. And it certainly is. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So the first curse the first thing that God touched was this unique thing to, that was unique to women, her childbearing, and it would be very painful. That was simple in a sense, but painful, but simple. The second curse is a little bit more complex in the sense God touched what she desired most is the sense of relationship and being in relationship. And instead of her being a suitable helper, a partner to her husband, she would be subordinate to him. And he would rule over her. And so I think how men have played out that ruling over sometimes, they've succumbed to their fallenness in many ways, is that they have become oppressive and abusive to women, which is not God's heart at all. God wants men to honor and to protect and to love so that women can flourish. But then I think as women, we have responded in two ways to this ruling over. And it's that we've become apathetic, uninvolved, and we've embraced the suppression, and we've almost cowered. We haven't stepped into the fullness of who God wants us to be. The second way I think we have reacted is that we have often tried to, we fight to prove our worth. Just like the, the feminists, they have fought to put men down to prove their sense of worth. They've also abolished gender roles, but God wants us to have these gender roles because they're actually based on equality. 
We are there to complement one another, and we can function well together. We don't have to erase them, because if we erase them, we don't experience the relational blessing that God intended for us to experience. And God's heart and nature is not reflected completely. So the enemy would have us believe that we are inferior, and then we fight to try and prove our worth. We try sometimes to be like men, to show that we are capable. We become domineering, and sometimes we ourselves become the abusers, whether it's physical or even through our words. We put on a tough exterior, and that becomes a self-protective mechanism, and we lose the gentleness, and we miss the point of who God made us. And we don't reflect God in the best possible way when we start to believe that we're inferior and we react in these different ways. And so, yes, this image was distorted, but the truth is. Well, ladies, the truth is, is that um, you don't need to fight. And I want to say this really um, uh, strongly this morning. You don't need to fight to prove your worth. Don't need to fight any longer to prove your value. Why? Because God has given you an intrinsic value. He's created you. And He's not just created you, but He's created you to reflect Him. These wonderful characteristics that, that Lorelei has spoken about, God has made you female so that you can reflect that to the earth, to your children, to your neighbors, to your colleagues. What an incredible privilege it is. Genesis 2 verse 18 says this, The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. In the Hebrew, and I'm probably not going to say this right, but hey, I'm going to give it my best. That, those two words, helper suitable, is eza konegdo. Eza konegdo, and suitable really means uh, this, like but opposite. So in other words, apart looks the same in some ways or displays some similar characteristics, but opposite. There's a sense of what a man lacks, the woman possesses and supplies, but never in the sense of an add-on. Did you hear that, ladies? Never in the sense of an add-on or an afterthought. Oh, yo, like God made a mistake and, 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 and now he had to add a woman on as a bit of a patch-up job. No. He was very... Um, uh, cognizant of the fact that he's making male to reflect this about him, and he's making female to reflect that about him. So it's a perfect match, not an add-on, but it's an indispensable part of the picture that God wants to reflect of himself in the earth, that we get to reflect as male and female. I like to think of it as uh, like two puzzle pieces. You've got the box of the puzzle, and the, the picture on the box is God. And uh, his wonderful characteristics that we've just heard about. And there's two pieces inside this puzzle box, male and female. Male gets to reflect a little bit of who this wonderful God is. Female gets to reflect a little bit of who this wonderful God is. But together, they give a better picture of who this God is. And I feel like he would have us embrace that again today. Not as husband and wife, because we reflect the nature of who God is in our husband and being husband and wife too. We reflect his covenant with us and Jesus' love for the church. But as male and female, 
before, long before we are married, just because we are individually male and female, we get to reflect who he is. That's suitable. And the word for helper in the Hebrew is the word ezer. It's predominantly used in the Bible for God helping his people. That doesn't sound like it's a, it's, 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 it's a minor role to me. If that is the word used of God with his strength and his might and his power, we know in our humanness we can never display that, but there's an element of um, God making women as helpers that he wants to display his strength. That word uh, is never used in the inferior. It's, it, it means helper, as we've said, savior, protector, rescuer, lifesaver. There's this picture of God stepping into the distress that, 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 that uh, his people are experiencing and coming to help them. And as Lorelei said, so often, isn't that what women do? Is there any surprise that uh, we would encounter women over the centuries who have seen a need for education and started schools, who have seen a need um, for uh, clinics for healthcare and started that, who have started baby rescue homes, who have gone into hospitals and see, seen what the little bit that moms have as a first-time mom, and they start up a baby box uh, project like Lena Clark has done here at City Hope Church. You see, the English word is not that great. The English word, if we think of helper, means less qualified, or we think of it as this, less qualified subordinate. But the biblical word for helper is a strong helper. See, to as someone is to make up what is lacking in them by offering one strength or intervention into that situation. So what can we conclude? Do we conclude then that women are there to serve men? Is that what we conclude? If we're husbands, you will serve me because you're my wife. Is that the heart of God? I don't think so. It's rather we serve alongside each other for the cause of Christ for the purposes of God. The reality is, is that we're both called to serve. Husbands are called to serve their wives and wives are called to serve their husbands because we're imitators of Jesus, the one who um, did not come to be served, but to serve. And so we serve each other, but we serve alongside each other so that change can come to our world. Uh, Larry Crabb says this, true masculinity and femininity emerge and develop only in the midst of other-centered relating. Gospel restoration causes us to use our distinct natures to serve others. That's what God's wanting us to be. Male and female who use our distinct natures given to us by him to serve others. And so uniqueness was distorted, but that's uh, the bad news. The good news is that uniqueness is redeemed. Uh, in the midst of God uh, cursing uh, the childbirth of a woman and causing her to be pain and, and uh, man, uh, man's work being harder, there's a promise. And I want you to listen to it here in Genesis 3 verse 15. It says, I will put enmity between you, speaking to the serpent now, between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In the midst of this, God promises a deliverer who would crush the serpent. And how's he gonna do it? He has the amazing thing. He's gonna crush the serpent uh, by fulfilling a promise that would come through woman and her ability to bear child. Think about that for a moment, ladies. 
Jesus came into the world because God was fulfilling a promise and he came through a woman. Galatians 4 verse 4 says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. I think Jesus is one of the greatest liberators that women have ever uh, known. He was so countercultural, where people would not speak to certain women, Jesus would speak to them. Where uh, women felt like they couldn't come and touch uh, Jesus because they had an issue of blood, they would press through a crowd, touch him, and he would would heal them. He treated women with dignity. He restored their dignity. He treated them as the image bearers that they were originally created to be. You see, there is redemption from the fall. If you are a lady who has put your faith in Jesus, you can be a Christ-like woman, perfect in Christ with nothing to prove and the ability to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, be all that God originally created you to be. Free, free from all fake femininity. I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to pray for us. As I prepared for this message, I felt God put something in my heart, so maybe just while your eyes are closed and heads are bowed, there's some ladies here today, and uh, you know generally your dad loved you. He provided for you. You didn't really need for anything but you never felt cherished by your dad. It's like uh, your dad loved you, but it it was always connected to what you would do for him. Go and fetch this. Do that for me. Do this for me. And I feel like God is saying today um, there has been a sense of lack in your life because you have not known the cherishing or the value that comes from just being a woman. And he's wanting to say to you today that uh, he has given you that value. In our humanness, as dads, as men, we're not going to always do that perfectly well. But God has given you value and he's wanting to free you today to see that you are cherished. You are deeply cherished and deeply loved by him. And then there's some ladies uh, in the room this morning. And... uh, you have been either verbally abused, maybe physically abused by men. And you've begun to embrace the lie that you're not cherished. And God's saying today it's stopping. Today that lie is stopping because he loves you. Those men that did that to you should not have done that. If you are a man in this room today and you have done something like that to a woman, God is calling you to repentance today. He's not stoning you. He's not striking you down dead, but he's calling you to repentance. Come to him. He wants to forgive you. But ladies who have uh, experienced that terror, he's saying to you today, he's wanting to bring a bit of healing to your heart. I just want to say to the women that have embraced that lie that they are inferior that today you would choose to embrace the truth 
And if your response to that sense of inferiority or oppression has been to withdraw and to become apathetic, then I believe that God wants to raise you up today. God wants to set you free, that you'll be able to arise like Deborah did and be all that God destined for you to be. And those of you that have responded by fighting and you have fought your way through life to try and prove your worth, to try and prove your ability and to show what you're able to do, God wants you to be at peace today and to rest in His love. And so, Lord, I want to pray for my sisters here today. I want to pray as you know what every single one of them is feeling and thinking. Holy Spirit, that you would speak into each one's heart, that you would minister into each one's heart exactly what they need today to bring that truth, to bring that freedom and the liberty, Lord, so that they can be the image bearers that you destined for them to be, that they can walk in your freedom, they can rest in your love, and Lord, that they can also just be as productive in this world, in their communities, in their workplaces, at home, as you destined for them to be, that nothing will hold them back from, from the fullness for which you came, Lord Jesus. You came to give us life and life in all its fullness, and wherever women are lacking here today, would you speak into that space? And would you bring the healing and the freedom that is needed today? We're looking to you, Lord God. We're looking to you, Lord, for breakthroughs in women's lives, in men's lives too. In the mighty name of Jesus. And we thank you for that. That your name will be glorified. Lord, I want to pray for ladies here this morning who have never felt cherished or valuable. Lord, um, I can't just uh, say that, and it is, Lord, you are the one who made them valuable. And Lord, I want to pray today that you'll do a deep work in every single uh, woman's heart to see that you are, they are valuable to you and they are loved by you. Then, Lord, I want to pray that you would bring healing, that you would come with healing in your wings to the hearts of women today who have been abused in whatever shape or form but feel like they're just worthless in this world nothing unique to bring to the cause of Christ to the plans of God to the societies that they live in Lord I want to pray that you'll bring healing to hearts um, that I can't even understand how broken they are God but you do Lord I pray that you would draw near and that today would be the turning point for so many ladies in this room. So many ladies that are, uh, are, are gathered online and watching right now. Lord, I pray. Lord, I pray that you would bring a change in their heart, Lord. That you would begin to, to uh, lift their gaze out of the pit of the experience that they have experienced. And onto you. Lord, we ask for that in Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said... Amen. If you're needing prayer at any point uh, this morning and after we've sung, I want to invite you to do that. We're going to sing a song right now, and I want to invite you to maybe sing it as a prayer, that we would build our life on His love, that we would build our life on His truth, so that we can go into, our, into society bringing the hope and the love of Jesus to those that don't yet know Him. This morning, let your heart lay bare before God. Speak to Him, worship Him, praise Him. 
but make this a prayer of your heart. Thanks, God.